Coming up on Stu Does America, we'll put the Russian invasion into context of the Great Reset with Justin Haskins. The New York Times has some questions for Andrew Cuomo, and frankly, at this point, don't we all? Get 10 bucks off your Blaze TV subscription when you use the promo code Stu at blazetv.com slash Stu. Why? You know why. Because that's how they know. You like this stupid show, plus you'll save that 10 bucks. And you have a lot of opportunities for mistakes when you're 1,000 years old. Let's go through just a smattering of them as we do Biden's history of failure. Stu does America. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, hey, Stu, your show's like an hour. How can you possibly cover a subject as broad as Biden's history of failure? It's true. I mean, look at how many cards I have here. And this is just a smattering. I'm not going to be able to get to all of these. There's no way. There's too much craziness from Joe Biden and too many failures. But one of his great successes, of course, was in selecting a vice president. Let's check in on how that's working out. I wanted to know if you think and if you asked the United States to specifically accept more refugees. Okay. (laughs) A friend in need is a friend indeed. Okay, so this time. Ooh, this is going well. The Kamala experiment. What a success. I guess the science is changing a little bit on that one. We'll come back to Kamala maybe here in a couple of minutes, but I want to go to Joe Biden, her boss. Yes, Joe Biden. One of the interesting things about Biden as president is that he was specifically selected because of his foreign policy experience. Now, if you go back to Barack Obama's writings, he pretty much says he chose him because he was old and white. Uh, Sorry, I mean, that is actually the reporting on the issue, that he was old and white, and Barack Obama thought, you know, here I am, this guy with this funny-sounding name, and I'm not white, we need a white guy in here because of all the racists out there. Uh, They'll only vote for me if I have someone who's experienced and old. Well, Joe Biden is experienced, but what does that mean? Is that good? Are we excited with this type of experience? Does that advance the country in a positive direction? Does it advance the world's goals in a positive direction? I would argue uh, no. So let's go through some of Biden's foreign policy catastrophes over the years. First of all, we'll start with the one that's going on right now. Russia's invasion of Ukraine 2022. Yes, it's true. It's going on right now. And we've talked about this quite a bit. Spent a lot of time on Russia and Ukraine over the past couple of weeks. One of the interesting things that you probably aren't getting if if you consume only the blaze or only conservative media is that there is a, a real effort on the front of mainstream media and the Democratic Party to present what is happening in Russia and Ukraine as a success for Joe Biden. Uh, One of the things they'll bring up is he was out there saying, uh, look, Russia's going to invade. They're putting these troops there. They're really going to do it. They're really going to try to take over the country. And then they did. And I guess if you compare that to some of his other uh, examples on on his list of failures, maybe it is better than some of his other ones. But let's 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 dive in just for a quick second here and talk about one aspect of this we haven't really covered. Joe Biden is being presented as a success in this uh, particular matter because he came out and he said, look, the intelligence tells us that Russia is going to invade. They're going to do a mass invasion, try to take over the whole country. And he was right. They did. 
In fact, people like Zelensky were even saying, I don't think they're really going to invade. A lot of people around the world didn't think so. There was a lot of doubt of that intelligence at the time. So there you go. There's the success of Joe Biden. Well, is that the success of Joe Biden? Is it fair to call that a success? The intelligence is the intelligence, and the intelligence seemed to figure out, have some really good sources somewhere in the Russian military machine to figure out pretty closely what was going to happen as far as a date and an invasion style and, and, and the scope of the invasion. And I guess that's good. It happened under Joe Biden. But Joe Biden's the president, and his job is to take that intelligence and figure out what to do with it. So what did he decide to do with it? Number one, he brought the intelligence to China and said, hey, China, please help us convince Russia not to invade into Ukraine. And you know what China said? No, get out of my face. And then they took the intelligence and then they brought it to Russia. So that's what Joe Biden decided to do with it. He did decide to do one other thing, and it was very public. He came out and tried to call them out in advance and say, don't do this. We're going to sanction you. We know what you're doing. We know the day you're doing it. And it was his choice to bring this to um, to everyone's attention publicly rather than just go to Ukraine and to the allies of our country and try to do it that way. Well, that was a tactic. You might agree with it. You might not agree with it. But the bottom line is we do know. It didn't work. I don't know if anyone's been following the news, but Russia did invade Ukraine. This didn't prevent them from doing it. It didn't seem to do much of anything. In fact, that war continues to rage on with civilians dying. And the fact that we said it publicly that they were going to do uh, something terrible before it happened. Maybe that wins you points as a talk show pundit. But what does that do as a president? Your job is to try to stop it. And he decided not to do sanctions beforehand. He decided not to act before they invaded. And what happened was an invasion that we're all dealing with the consequences now. So to say that that's a win, I think is a stretch. Let's go back to more Joe Biden failures. How about he shut down a China-focused anti-espionage program also this year? Now, this was one started during the Trump administration to try to figure out what was going on with China and spies here in the United States. You might not have heard much about this particular program, but I want to highlight it here, not just because it was obviously a bad idea to shut down a program targeting Chinese spies in the middle of all this craziness. Obviously a bad idea, I think, on its face. But I want to give you the reason why they canceled it. Racism, right? The Biden administration was too woke to to look for Chinese spies. I'm serious. The Biden administration is shutting down a Justice Department program focusing on countering Chinese espionage because they believed it, quote, amounted to racial profiling. By grouping cases under the China Initiative rubric, uh, we helped give rise to a harmful perception that we in some way view people with racial, ethnic or familiar familial ties to China differently. This is from uh, the assistant attorney general for national security, Matthew Olson. So we're too woke to, to root out spying from China. Good idea in this environment. You tell me. How about rescinding the Keystone XL pipeline permit? This isn't really foreign policy, is it, Stu? Well, yeah, I think you're seeing uh, that it is. And it works very closely with removing sanctions on the European Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Both of those things together are pretty interesting. He wanted Russian gas to be flowing to Germany, but not Canadian to be flowing to the United States. 
Does that make any sense to you? Now, there was a big back and forth between Jen Psaki and I think it was maybe Peter Ducey about the Keystone XL. And her point was, look, this wouldn't help us in our current situation. Well, uh, in some ways, that's true. It's being um, it's being built. It's not finished yet. And secondarily, that oil is still coming to the United States largely, uh, just in a much less environmentally friendly way, which is a fascinating uh, part of the whole Keystone XL saga. But the bottom line is, it's all part of a signaling uh, to the oil industry that they're going to make your life, life incredibly difficult. I think maybe tomorrow we'll go through the real truth about how they are stopping the oil industry from really opening things up and pumping. But think about if they handled this the other way. Think about it if they stepped up and they said, hey, we're opening up the spigots for everybody. Just, just the announcement from a Democratic president would make a big deal in your gas price. Uh, but they're not going to do that. They have no intention of doing it. And also, of course, Nord Stream 2 was a big deal. He's acting all tough about how he's stopping Russian oil now. Well, he could have stopped a massive project earlier, and it almost came to fruition. Honestly, if they waited a few more weeks to invade, it would have come to fruition, and I doubt they would have turned it off. The Biden administration waived sanctions on the company behind Russia's Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline to Germany and its chief executive. A statement to a department report sent to Congress concluded that Nord Stream 2 uh, and the CEO uh, was an ally of a Russian president, Vladimir Putin, and had engaged in sanctionable activity. But Blinken immediately waived those sanctions, saying that it was in the U.S. national interest. Was it? Was it Antony? I think we're, we know now that it was not. How about when Joe Biden uh, attempted to revert to the 2015 Iranian nuclear deal? This is still going on. We know how dangerous Iran was. We know how they were abusing that deal when it was in place. Donald Trump got us out of it. And now Joe Biden wants to go back into it, partially because they want to be able to get oil out of Iran. Instead of pumping it ourselves, we want to go to a murderous dictatorship to get the oil instead. Joe Biden's foreign policy fails 2021. How about when they refuse to classify China's treatment of Uyghur Muslims as a genocide? We all know what it is. Everyone knows what it is. But Joe Biden couldn't come out and be brave enough to say what it was. Everybody knows what was going on there uh, was a genocide. Unless you believe the fancy Chinese propaganda videos they've been releasing right lately. Of course, the big one, maybe the biggest one on this entire list, is the withdrawal from Afghanistan. One of the most catastrophic uh, events in U.S. history when it comes to foreign relations. I do not say that lightly. Uh, of course, it, uh, TalibanJoeMerch.com, if you want to celebrate his award-winning performance as the person of the year for the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan, you can wear it on a shirt or a mug and celebrate that uh, together. But I don't need to tell you how bad that whole situation was. But what I want to highlight here are two things. Number one, what has happened to Afghanistan since we left? Yes, the Taliban is brutal. Yes, the Taliban is doing a lot of the things we thought they might do. But in addition to that, the people in Afghanistan are starving. 95% of the country now is battling with hunger on a daily basis. The, the entire civilization has collapsed, and we let it happen. We let it happen for absolutely no reason. Forget even just the level of incompetence it would have to take for some situation like that, a 20-year war to dissolve in that way. But he's now left the people, many of which fought with us and supported us for two decades. Now they're sitting there suffering. And of course, there are still American citizens and thousands of American green card holders uh, uh, still in the country, uh, many of them trying to get out. 
Now, this one has always fascinated me. What is the easiest decision you could ever make? Well, um, you know, ordering Taco Bell for lunch would be one for me. But another one would be, I don't know, the worst, most wanted terrorist in, in uh, global history, a guy who blew up the Twin Towers and crashed planes into the Pentagon. Uh, if you have a chance to take him out, do you? We had multiple wars going on uh, trying to get that done. They had the opportunity to take uh, Osama bin Laden out. And Barack Obama was like, yeah, I guess we should do that. Took him a while to come to that conclusion somehow. But OK, he got there and he wanted to do it. Who was standing in his way? Guess who? Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. He advised against the Osama bin Laden raid that took Obama or excuse me, Osama out. Um, here's his quote. Uh, you can go back 500 years. You cannot find a more audacious plan. Never knowing for certain, we never had more than a 48% probability that bin Laden was there. Okay, first of all, it's not an audacious plan. Uh, it's an obvious one. You should absolutely, if you have 48%, ask the people in the military, ask the Navy SEALs, ask uh, people in intelligence and, and special forces if they would have gone in there and risked their lives for a 10% chance to take Osama bin Laden out. And yet they had, I don't know how you have a 48% chance. They basically had a 50-50 shot that he was there, according to Joe Biden, which is not a reliable source. And he was advising against it. Biden was concerned about the enormous consequences of failure and counseled that the president should defer any decision until the intelligence community was more certain that bin Laden was in the compound. You want to wait? This guy could leave. He could, we could lose him at any moment. And what were the risks? We sent in a couple of helicopters. Those guys would have taken that risk a thousand times over in a row to, for a chance to take out Osama bin Laden. Biden advised Barack Obama to wait. The former president wrote in his own memoir, he advised Obama, uh, excuse me, Biden advised Obama to take more time saying, don't go. That's the guy now leading your country. How about his the withdrawal of troops from Iraq in 2011? He was key to that decision as well. There was 150,000 American soldiers in the country at the time. The newly inaugurated president, Obama, turned to his vice president and told him to bring the troops home. This was Joe Biden's big gig. By the end of 2011, the war was over and the American troops had left. Quote, he's the guy who oversaw the drawdown, in effect, on the political side of U.S. forces from 150,000 to virtually zero. Well, what did that mean when he did it? The departure of U.S. troops created a vacuum. Al-Qaeda, still alive, morphed into ISIS and seized 40 percent of Iraq in the summer of 2014. It wasn't until, of course, Donald Trump got into office, and people forget this, one of the big issues in the campaign for Donald Trump to get elected in 2016 was how do we deal with ISIS? It's, uh, it's a caliphate. They're creating a caliphate. Just about a year after Trump was in office, they no longer had a caliphate. Um, how about that... Joe Biden said that he uh, that the Taliban was not even our enemy. Do you remember this? The United States has said that the Taliban is not an enemy of America. Look, the Taliban per se is not our enemy, said Joe Biden. In fact, the Taliban is able to collapse. If, uh, if the Taliban is able to collapse the existing government, which is cooperating with us in keeping the bad guys from being able to do damage to us, then that becomes a problem to us. Put the government in a position where they can be strong enough that they can negotiate and not be overthrown with the Taliban. Did you put the government in that position there, Joe? Did you? 
The exact thing he warned about when he said the Taliban was not our enemy wound up, of course, happening under his watch. He also opposed George W. Bush's new counterinsurgency plans back in 2007. You'll remember this, of course, as the surge. The war wasn't going that well. George Bush put in the surge, turned the war around and made it uh, until it was going really well until Joe Biden got control of it later on and then screwed it up again. Now, in 2006, people don't remember this, but Joe Biden, as running for a presidential candidate and as a senator in 2006, proposed dividing Iraq into three separate countries, I guess on his own fancy dividing lines, where the Kurds would get one, the Sunnis, the Shias, everyone would be separate because there would be no conflict. You know what? What could possibly go wrong with a situation like that? People pretty much laughed him out of the room, and he never even brought it up, even when there was, a, there was an argument that the Kurds, who were having all sorts of problems, maybe should have their own country. Uh, he, he was so embarrassed by that idea, he didn't even bring it up again. Now, he supported the war back in 2003. And I put this on here. Is this a foreign policy fail? Well, I put this on here mainly because I want to remind everybody that the Democrats were just as on board for the Iraq war as Republicans were. Remember, this is a war that had something like 80 percent approval when it began. You know, it didn't go very well. It dragged on for a very long time. Uh, and that's when people sort of turned on it and everybody sort of memory hold their votes in the Democratic Senate. Hillary Clinton, of course, voted for it. So did Joe Biden. He also opposed when he was going to oppose war. He opposed the Gulf War back in 1991. That one seemed like the easy one and got George H.W. Bush to something like 85, 90% approval rating. Um, uh, of course, Joe Biden was on the other side of that one. Uh, he also opposed giving aid to the South Vietnamese government back in 1975. I could go through, there's so many things in between all these, I'm just skipping around. But uh, on April 25th, 1975, Biden opposed the Vietnam Contingency Act of 1975, would have sent emergency funds to South Vietnam for evacuation and relief efforts. Biden argued that the president had constitutional authority to evac evacuate U.S. citizens, but the evacuation of non-citizens was an entirely different matter that should be negotiated through organizations that are available and through diplomatic channels that we could use. What's fascinating about that one is that later on, of course, with Afghanistan, he seemed to have no interest or ability to actually evacuate U.S. citizens or people who were not citizens but had helped us throughout the years. So I don't know what happened through that time. He eventually uh, he seemingly doesn't want anyone evacuated from a war zone. That just seems to be a hardcore position of Joe Biden. Joe Biden has been wrong on every serious and consequential foreign policy issue since you've heard his name. The man was elected in the Senate in 1972, and he has strung together a cataclysmic linkage of failure just by luck, by pure luck. You'd think he'd get some of these things right. But over and over and over again, he has been on the wrong side of every consequential foreign policy decision since he became a public figure. And then he was foisted into office on the auspices of being a foreign policy expert. It's completely bonkers. And I hope this little review reminds you just a bit about how pathetic he has actually been. Luckily, though, we do have some experts in the government. We do have some people who know exactly what they're talking about when it comes to a crisis like Russia and Ukraine. We have at least the vice president of the United States.
And now, Veep Thoughts by Kamala Harris. country in Europe. It exists next to another country called Russia. Russia is a bigger country. Russia is a powerful country. Russia decided to invade a smaller country called Ukraine. So basically that's wrong. This has been Veep Thoughts by Kamala Harris. One thing I really like, and I think is one of the strongest things about this country, are people who are innovators, who are disruptors. People who come up with an idea that totally turns an industry uh, upside down. Um, one of these companies is Ladder Life. Uh, Ladder uh, basically took on the life insurance industry and flipped it upside down, shook out all the inefficiencies, and have changed the way people buy life insurance. Before Ladder, if you wanted to get life insurance, you had to drive across town and sit through the sales pitch and fill out all the paperwork and then wait six to eight weeks to find out if you've been approved. With Ladder, you can get fast, affordable term life insurance without even leaving home. It's 100% digital when you apply for $3 million or less in coverage. There's no doctors, no needles, no paperwork. If you're between the ages of 20 and 60 and you need coverage and want to team up with a company that's changing the way people think about life insurance, you need to check out Ladder. Go to ladderlife.com slash stew today to see if you're instantly approved. L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash stew. Check it out now. Ladderlife.com slash stew. So it's great to have Justin Haskins on the program. He's editorial director of the Heartland Institute and editor-in-chief of StoppingSocialism.com. And of course, an author of a little book you may have heard of from time to time called The Great Reset with Glenn Beck. Justin, thanks so much for coming back on the program. Good to be with you. Um, Let me start with this. We just played this a second ago, but I want to play it again. We're going to come up with a whole series of these. But we, this is a, a segment we like to call Veep Thoughts with Kamala Harris, and here's how she explained the dynamic going on between Russia and Ukraine. And now, Veep Thoughts by Kamala Harris. So Ukraine is a country in Europe. It exists next to another country called Russia. Russia is a bigger country. Russia is a powerful country. Russia decided to invade a smaller country called Ukraine. So basically that's wrong. This has been Veep Thoughts by Kamala Harris. Now, I know that's a little in depth and maybe that's going over your head, Justin, but if I were to ask you, what is your view of Russia Ukraine? Would you agree that basically that's wrong? No, and I, and I would challenge you to find something incorrect in the vice president's statement. R- Russia is indeed a country, and it is indeed invading Ukraine, a smaller country. So, I mean, come on. This is the fact check. It really is one of her best moments as vice president. She's actually completely yeah. right on that entire analysis. It's just that's the level of her thinking. Can you give me your 50,000 viewpoint uh, of, of what's going on between Russia and Ukraine, maybe a little bit deeper than Russia is a country? 
Right. So uh, not everyone agrees with my opinion on this, but uh, I believe that there is an ideological war going on in Europe, the Middle East, Russia and Asia, especially to some extent in Canada as well. And that ideological war is between two very powerful sides. On the one side, you have what I like to call international 21st century fascists. These are your great reset people. This is Klaus Schwab and Davos and Joe Biden and all of these people that want to use financial institutions, the United Nations, International Monetary Fund, in order to try to impose their ideas on the rest of the world, uh, whether they want it or not, with through ESG scores, that's environmental social and cre uh, governance scores, uh, social credit system, essentially, uh, through regulations and trade and economic power and all of that. And then on the other side, I believe we have national fascists. And that's your Russia, China, Iran, and similar countries. Turkey would be involved in that as well. And I think that they are uh, just as fascistic, maybe even more fascistic, certainly more violent in their fascism, um, but uh, no less uh, egregious than the international fascists in many respects. However, um, caught in the middle of that are regular people people of Ukraine, regular people in America, regular people in Europe, people who have nothing to do with either side, and they're caught up in the midst of this. And I believe that what's going on in Russia is, and we're in Ukraine with Russia, I think is part of this wider ideological war. Russia believes, Vladimir Putin, I should say, and intellectuals who have been influencing Vladimir Putin, believe that NATO is a real threat that the Great Reset is a real threat to the interests of Russia, and that over time these things have become more serious, and as they've become more serious and more dire, um, and as Russia has felt increasingly more threatened, not just militarily, but economically by things happening in the Great Reset, like for example, saying we're going to destroy the entire fossil fuel industry all over the world when Russia depends on fossil fuels, their quasi-petro-state, in order to survive. I believe Russia, that, issue, the Great Reset, coupled with um, the cultural differences and everything that's been going on historically between these countries is a motivating factor for Vladimir Putin to make this incredibly big move. I believe he thinks that Russia really is threatened and that he needs to make a stand. And by the way, one last thing, the last time that Vladimir Putin did this in 2014, his approval ratings had been pretty low leading up to the invasion of Crimea in the Obama era. After the invasion of Crimea, his approval rating went up to over 80% in Russia. Mm. And I don't think that that's an accident either. I think he believes this is a popular move in Russia. And so for all of those reasons, I think Vladimir Putin is, is going for the gold <laughs> in Ukraine. I think, I think a summary of what you just said is, so basically that's wrong? Just, it sorry, is wrong. <laughs> it is wrong. There you go. And Russia is a bigger country. It is and a bigger Ukraine country. And Ukraine is a smaller country. <laughs> um, so, because like, this is interesting. I think part of this, is it political survival for Putin? Is it approval rating chasing? Or is it more of a legacy building for him? Well, Vladimir Putin has everything that you could possibly imagine already. He has, he's essentially the dictator of Russia. He's never going to lose an election there ever. People are far too afraid of him. The oligarchs are terrified of him in Russia. His approval rating is 60, 70, 80%, depending on the year that you're looking at. 
Um, and he has tons of money. Some people say he's the richest person in the world. He has potentially billions of dollars stashed all over the world in secret bank accounts and other countries, et cetera. Uh, so I believe that Vladimir Putin is reaching the age of 70 here. He's starting to think not about power and money and all of the things that you think about when you're in your 40s and you're a young and up and coming dictator. Uh, <laughs> but you're thinking about your legacy. How are you going to be remembered? And remembered by who? By the people at Davos? He doesn't care about those people. He hates them. By America? By Joe Biden, who barely knows his own name? He doesn't care about him. He hates him, too. He cares about what the people of Russia think. And, and, and I believe that's what this is all about, solidifying his legacy in Russia as another great, big, powerful Russian leader. And throughout the history of Russia, the most famous Russian leaders are um, they're imperialist by their very nature, the vast majority of them. And I think that he stands in that tradition, believes he stands in that tradition, and believes he'll be remembered lovingly as a person who reestablished this idea of Russian nationalism, Russian power, uh, Russian imperial dynasty. Mm. Uh, it's really been fascinating to watch this develop, and you kind of see the way the media is talking about it. And uh, let me give you the media, the media overview of this, at least the, from what I've heard. They look at this and say, okay, Russia obviously is the aggressor here. Um, and luckily, though, the rest of the world has come together. They've been so upset and so horrified by what they've seen from Vladimir Putin and Russia that everybody's come together. Governments, uh, individuals, uh, companies, they've all united to ostracize uh, politically and economically the country of Russia. This is an incredibly promising response from the world. I don't think there's zero truth to that argument. I mean, I think it is it has been impressive. And, and, and I think there's a lot of things that, you know, are good that have come out of that. But as you point out, and in this, uh, you talk about a lot of this in the book, The Great Reset, really this approach is the same approach you were warning of in the book. So how is the response to Russia uh, consistent with The Great Reset? The core of the Great Reset is co is coordination between all of these powerful groups, corporations, banks, financial institutions, governments, all of them working together at the same time, activist groups to um, essentially uh, destroy their enemies for better or worse. And sometimes those enemies deserve to be destroyed. And in this case, it's one of those situations. But what this shows is that anybody they want, any nation they want, any government they want, Anyone in the world that they want, if they get together and they all have the same idea, the same plan, they can coordinate quickly, swiftly, decisively, and they can and they can destroy or nearly destroy almost anybody. That's what this shows. And it's not just the big banks and financial institutions, although they're probably the most important people along with government, but it's also Nike. It's also uh, McDonald's. It's everybody gets involved. They're all working on the same page. And so... If they have this kind of power, that's what you have to ask yourself. It's not whether it's good that they're doing this about, against Russia or not. It, it is good that they're doing this against Russia. The question is, will they do it to anybody else? And if you just listen to their own words and how they talk about regular Americans, and you see what happened in Canada recently with the, with the truckers and how they treated people who just donated money to those truckers who were protesting, uh, you can see that if they all get together and decide they want to silence someone, they want to destroy someone, they want to wipe a country economically out, they can do that. Vladimir Putin has nukes. 
What do you have at home? <laughs> do you have nukes? I don't think so. So if they can do it to him and they can do it to uh, Donald Trump, who they silenced pretty much overnight, and they can do it to Parler, shut down a giant uh, uh, social media platform with millions of users overnight, they can ban books anytime they want. They can destroy anybody they want. If they can do it to them, they can do it to you. And that's the thing that, that scares me so much about what's going on. And I will say, uh, Justin, I lost all of my nukes in a boating accident recently. They went down to the bottom. I know of, you did. That, you know, this happens. You know, I'm just a terrible boater. Um, before, uh, before you go, I, I want to I talk to you about uh, the Alexander Dugan effect here. Alexander Dugan is a, a very prominent advisor uh, to Putin, a very influential guy. Uh, you went through his most recent book, and he really highlights a lot of things that are very germane to this whole situation we're looking at right now. Yeah, Alexander Dugan is an incredibly influential figure. You can sort of think of him as the evil uh, Jordan Peterson of Russia. That's kind of what he is. So he's incredibly influential philosophically amongst the Russian people. Uh, he's probably even more influential than Jordan Peterson in the sense that people in government really care what this guy says. Some of the books that he's written are basically manuals that are being used in military academies. And the Kremlin is all very aware of his attitudes. He is one of the fathers of this idea of bringing together this new Russian empire. And in this book that he recently wrote, which was published just within the last six months, I think in September of last year, called The Great Awakening versus The Great Reset, uh, essentially what Dugan is doing is he's appealing to Americans, conservative Americans, Donald Trump supporters in particular, to join their cause, that ideological war. Because, hey, you guys are nationalists too, just like us. You like traditionalism. You don't like the Great Reset. You don't want any of that. And the only hope we have is the argument he's making. Uh, the only hope we have is if we all join together all over the world, all the nationalists, even if we don't agree on everything, like, I don't know, throwing journalists in prison and, you know, killing people that we we don't like and invading countries. Even if we don't agree on those things, we at least agree that we don't want the Great Reset, right? So can't we all join together? And he makes this really passionate appeal throughout this whole book. Uh, but at the very end, he gives it away that he's a tyrant because up until the end, you would agree with probably 90% of what he says. And then at the very end, he gives it away by talking about how Russia has a special role to play in all of this. And that special role is a quote, imperial awakening that is going to be a signal for a universal uprising of peoples and cultures against the liberal globalist elites. And he says things like, through the rebirth as an empire, as an orthodox empire, he's talking about Christianity, Russia will be an example for other empires, the Chinese, the Turkish, the Persian, the Arab, the Indian, as well as the Latin American, the African, and the European. And so he's saying he wants to, he believes Russia can inspire a new era of imperialism throughout the world where these nationalist empires will rise up and crush the great reset elites. So you can see how this is not good. <laughs> this is really, <laughs> really bad. And so we don't wanna fall into the trap of being on the side of the national fascists or on the side of the international fascists. We don't wanna give power to either of these groups. And it's really hard to do that right now, especially with the international fascists, because they're all lined up against Putin and we know Putin is a bad guy. But we have to keep that in mind always, that we are not for either kind of authoritarianism. We are for individual liberty. We are for the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And neither side wants that. Yeah, they want to crush the uh, the people on the Great Reset side, not on the war of ideas, but like in the war. <laughs> 
than <laughs> just Correct. the war. Um, it's a scary future, and it's it's something really important that people understand because it is appealing to conservatives who will agree with a lot of this. But this guy is very dangerous, and uh, I know you and Glenn have covered this a lot. I'd love to have you back on to talk about it a little bit more. Justin Haskins, editorial director of the Heartland Institute. He's uh, editor-in-chief of StoppingSocialism.com and co-author of The Great Reset with Glenn Beck. Justin, thanks so much for coming on the program. Thanks, Stu. When running a business, HR issues can kill you. You got wrongful termination suits, the minimum wage requirements, labor regulations. They make this difficult for you, I think, intentionally. It's impossible to run a business these days. And HR manager salaries can help you do that, of course, but we're talking $70,000 a year. It's a lot of money for a small business. Bambi is spelled B-A-M-B-E-E. They were created specifically for small businesses. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat uh, from onboarding to terminations. They can customize your policies and fit your business and help you manage your employees day-to-day. Not for $70,000 a year, but $99 a month. Month to month, no hidden fees, cancel anytime, and you're not, you, know, you can talk to the same person, you have someone who's dedicated to you. Go to Bambi.com slash Stu right now, schedule your free HR audit. It's Bambi.com slash Stu. Don't forget the slash Stu part of the address because that's how they know you like this stupid show. B-A-M-B-E-E. It's Bambi.com slash Stu. Well, inflation has risen to 7.9% in February. It's a new 40-year high. It was up 0.8% month to month. Interesting because Jen Psaki said, well, month to month, it seems to be decelerating. Eh, no. Uh, that, 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 that comment held for literally one day, and then it was proven wrong. Uh, 7.9%, highest since the early 80s, coming off of Carter in the early Reagan years. Uh, it's amazing that this keeps going. And there's only really one thing to do to stop it, of course, which is spend another $1.5 trillion. And that's, of course, what our House has just approved, $1.5 trillion to fund the government. Uh, now, the big kind of controversial items on this one were about $13 billion uh, to help Ukraine and another $8 billion of COVID relief. They eventually did get the COVID relief removed out of that. I mean, come on, how much money have we spent on this at this point? Uh, the $13.6 billion for Ukraine is still in there. House voted 361 to 69 to pass the defense portion of the package and 260 to 171 to pass the non-defense portion. This now goes to the Senate. And surely makes inflation so much better, right? How else can you stop inflation but spend trillions of dollars? We've learned this works so well in the past, and I'm, I'm sure it's going to continue to keep working in the future. Uh, also, Andrew Cuomo, what is he doing? Does anyone know what Andrew Cuomo is doing? I know he's awful. Andrew Cuomo is awful.com. But what is he doing right now? He's running ads for himself as a non-candidate which was like literally a Mr. Show bit. Like this is, it's like going back that far, this has been a joke. He's not a candidate and he's running ads praising himself. He's speak, he's kind of coming out uh, of hiding to go to black churches and speak about how wonderful he is and how bad cancel culture is because you keep canceling people who grope others and kill elderly people or something. So 
I, it's hard to understand what he's doing. The New York Times has written uh, an article, which is actually called, What is Andrew Cuomo Up To? But it really plays as a how-to guide for him to rehab himself. If Cuomo envisions a comeback, he must restore his public image. If Cuomo wants to run for office this year, time is running out. And I keep thinking to myself, there's no way Andrew Cuomo is going to run for office this year, right? He's not going to try this now. Is he really? I don't know. Maybe I'm under, even I'm underestimating his narcissism. Uh, I know he's got a lot of money. I know he wants to still be in the public eye. He can't possibly stay away from a camera for more than two and a half seconds. But I don't know what he's going to do. The only thing I do know is that Andrew Cuomo was awful. Dot com. Maybe I should just start this segment over again. Like, for example, inflation rises to 7.9%, highest in 40 years. Uh, And how did we deal with that? Um, Well, we spent another $1.5 trillion. That's one of the reasons why I like and got into Bitcoin a long time ago. Um, Back in the day, I started looking at cryptocurrencies, particularly Bitcoin, because you know, there's only 21 million that can ever be printed. We know multiple millions are lost into the ether for all time, uh, and they can't expand. They can't print new ones once we get to 21 million. There's a scarcity element here that's really important. And we've seen Bitcoin and many altcoins as well just rise and rise and rise to all-time highs. We're talking two, three trillion dollar asset class now. This is no longer something that's on the sidelines. Tika Tawari talked about this years ago on the program, and he said it's going to go up to 40,000. And everyone basically said he was completely nuts at the time. This is after the big bubble in 2017 had already burst. And uh, well, here we are. We're at 40,000 right now. We've even been higher than this in the past few months. If you haven't bought Bitcoin yet, it's not too late. You're still like within the top, the earliest one or 2% of people to get into this. Do your own research, but uh, don't wait. Sign up for Tika Tawari's uh, Palm Beach Letter. It's now available at BigTReport.com. BigTReport.com for Tika Tawari's Palm Beach Letter. Get it now at BigTReport.com. The most important thing you can do as a U.S. citizen is, of course, Listen to this podcast every day. What if I'm, I'm listening on YouTube? I, that's fine. You're watching on YouTube? Go over to the podcast. Subscribe to it anyway. Give us a review. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. It's totally woke. Stu has no problem beating girl podcasters. Hashtag equality. It's true. And it's only with your support. You know, every time you give a five-star review to this particular program, you not only help this show, but you also hurt others, including women. And that's the most important thing. You can also uh, check out the show on YouTube and comment. Please comment. Lots of comments. Give me the comments. You can comment about whatever we're talking about. It helps the algorithm help spread the word on this particular show. Rob says, man, I thought the show was stupid before, but now I have to deal with continuity issues. Get it together, Stu. This comes from Tie Clipgate uh, 2022. Uh, the Tie Clip is back, but yesterday... I didn't have it for the Glenn interview. So I went tie clip, no tie clip, then more tie clip. All I know is we're hopefully past this forevermore. Peggy writes, I hope you bought t- several tie clips so we never have to go through that again. Yes. The long national nightmare is over. It's in our rearview mirror. I have like 10 tie clips now. America and capitalism has stepped up to solve the tie clip crisis.
know, it's every father's dream to provide a life for their children that will allow them to be preppy and elitist and to look down on others. And I can only do that if you buy lots of merch at stewdoesmerch.com, stewdoesmerch.com. Check it out now, get all your gear, stewdoesmerch.com. And if you want to subscribe to Blaze TV, I would highly recommend it. Why? Because the media sucks. And without Blaze TV, what do you have? out there. Uh, very limited options. BlazeTV.com slash stew. The promo code is stew. That's how they know you like this stupid show. Plus, you'll save 10 bucks. We'll see you tomorrow.